0: For he was still in the loins of his ancestor, when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron?
1: For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well.
0: Welcome back to another episode of The Sword and the Spirit. We take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching and interviews. The goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. Our prayer here is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Welcome back, welcome back, and as true to form, we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, today we'll be doing, we'll attempt to do the seventh and the eighth chapter. These This is not an exhaustive study in the book of Hebrews. I'm not saying everything that can be said. And The purpose of these little forays into various books is to hopefully whet the appetite, get you a little curious. And so that you go and do your own uh, study on it as well. And, uh, you know, get into the word. But I want to whet the appetite, get you into the word of God, studying it for yourself. And not just taking things because I say so or anybody says so. You got to study it for yourself on your own. And uh, that you can grow thereby. Yes, you can use other outside sources. There are some good commentaries out here as well etc um that i highly recommend if you listen to my podcast on uh how to um um on on uh on studying the bible that i actually did um called how to sharpen your sword uh you will see in that how you the commentaries and things that you need to help you study the bible but i want to whet your appetite I i don't i'm not intending here to be exhaustive and to say every single thing that can be said so Uh, I'm just hitting the mountain peaks and the tops Uh, and trying to get to the gist of what I believe is actually saying. But I want everybody to fact check me. Don't ever listen to anybody without fact checking them. Make sure they have their receipts and you need hard empirical data uh, to prove their point in terms. Now, for us as believers, the, the empirical data is the word of God. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. Um, but never, ever be a passive listener. I don't care who it is. And that starting and including with me, don't be a passive listener to me, go back into the word of God and check it out for yourself to see if in fact, what I'm saying is biblical. And if it isn't, then just, you know, pray for me. (laughs) All right. God bless you. I believe that it is. And I would never, uh, attempt to give somebody something that's not biblical that's not my motivation but however the best of us the best of us we all have a little bit of error in the process even though we're a lot of us you know in our arrogance we tend to think we got it all and and we don't and 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 the proof of that is over the years i have changed my position on certain things and i keep an open mind because i know i could be wrong in some areas and it's always good to be able to Uh, You don't get so dogmatic or so locked into something that you're not able to change your position on something. But if you come at me, we're going to go to the map. We're going to wrestle it out with the text. And we're going to see whether or not uh, the word of God is what the Bible actually says. Because I'm going to fact check everything that comes to me as well. So, um, but it's a good practice to have. And we shouldn't, as believers, we shouldn't be afraid to have the hard conversations even when we may not necessarily see eye to eye on every single point, uh, we need to have the conversations without leaving the conversation and condemning some, you know, you don't agree with me, therefore you're going to hell. I don't agree. You don't agree with me, therefore I'm going to hell. Um, And I'm talking about, you know, we're agreeing on the essentials, but I'm talking about some of the secondary issues such as eschatology. You know, uh, my, my eschatology is futurist, but then there are some who are partial preterists or, Mid trib, post trib, you know, I'm pre trib, but that's okay, and we discuss it and we look at it from different angles, and I see they have some very good points, and hopefully they see I got some very good points, but uh, it's not nothing to divide over, and nobody's going to hell because they don't understand all oh, everything uh, in terms of eschatology. That's that was the case then. Uh, you know, a whole lot of people going to burn. No, it's not. It's not a requisite for salvation. All right, Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. And then he is also the king of Salem. And Salem meaning peace, city of peace. So you got, uh, he's the king of Salem. It isn't Jeru yet, because later on, in front of Salem, you're going to get the Jeru, hence Jerusalem, would become the city of peace. But this is after Abraham defeated the five the five confederate kings uh, of the uh, of the Canaanites. He defeats them in battle because they kidnapped his his, uh, his nephew. He goes after him. He he wins the victory. And then he comes back with the spoils. That's how it was done in those days. You Whoever know, wins gets to bring back all the spoils of the enemy. And now everything is yours. Uh, winner, winner is a winner take all. That's the ancient world. Winner take all. And uh, he, he brings the people back. But what Abraham does is he. The king of Sodom says, you know, uh, keep something for yourself. And he tells the king of Sodom, I don't want anybody to say that you made me rich. So he gives away every Abraham gave away everything. Except one tenth. And then one tenth of what he took, he gave to Melchizedek. And then the rest of it he just gave away to everybody else. Wow. So Abraham didn't hang on to it. But this individual, Melchizedek, who is he? The Bible doesn't really give us a whole lot on who he is. Uh just about everybody that I've read says that Melchizedek is not Jesus. Um I'm not so sure I hold that position, but again, I don't know who he is. So I'm not gonna say he's Jesus. I'm not gonna say he isn't. I don't know. He's one of those mysterious characters that just shows up. All I know that he has they says he has no beginning and no and and no parents. So how did he then get here? Is he eternal? I don't know. So I've heard different explanations on that, which I'm not going to go into today. Suffice it to say that there is a priesthood. He was a different type of priest. He's not a Levitical priest. This is a priest. uh, This is an eternal priesthood. It, 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 It goes back into eternity. No beginning and no end. All right. So this is a different priesthood here. God is telling us here about in the book of hebrews referring back to genesis uh chapters uh 18 and right before god destroyed sodom and gomorrah very interesting in chapter 17 and 18 you can read in genesis and you can see the story of of how abraham rescued his nephew lot and when he meets melchizedek and he gives him a tenth or a tithe of everything that he of the spoils that he took In this victory. So this hot milk is king. And he's a king. It says. Because he's a king. And he's a priest of the most high God. Jesus is both king. And he's also both priest. Of the most high God as well. Met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings. And he blessed him. So. God sends Melchizedek to go and bless Abraham. After this great victory. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of part of everything and gave him a tenth. He is first by translation of his name. So this king is Melchizedek, is king of righteousness and also the king of peace. Salem, which means peace. Check out Melchizedek. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. This guy doesn't die. And there's no record anywhere of his birth. Where was he born? He just shows up. But resembling the Son of God, resembling Christ, he continues a priest forever. And that way he's like Christ. He continues a priest forever. Operative word here. Now look at what it says here. This is very important to what we're going to say next. Verse 3. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. He has no beginning of days or end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So this is an eternal priesthood. And you're going to see later on that Aaron's priesthood is not eternal. And it will it'll, it'll explain to you why it's not eternal. And this is this is very significant to what we're going to say. Remember, we just finished talking about covenants. We're going to swing back around to the new covenant. Why it's superior to all the other covenants. But I wanted to give you a little background on covenants. A little quick look. And then we'll... Swing back around today and see why this new covenant transcends all of it. Verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priest, priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. So tithing to the priests is, is very common. Uh, in both covenants uh, tithes are paid to the Priest knows what I'm saying is pay to the priest. Okay, that's very important to pay attention to. Didn't say the church. It Said tithing goes directly to the priest. Now people might say, "Oh well, yes, the pastor would be the priest." Mm, no, uh, if you're going to do the whole first fruits thing and say the tithe is for the pastor, which some people are trying to say these days, then the pastor can must relinquish ownership of everything. He's to have no inheritance whatsoever. That's why the Levites got the tithe. Okay. Mm. Well, that's going to happen. But we'll do a podcast on tithing. And is it biblical? And is it still required today? Um, which is... Uh, we'll take a look at that. I'm not going to give you that answer just yet. But I think you pretty much know where, where we're headed with this. So... Um, Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. So let's continue on here a little bit. And let's see uh, what else is going on here. Verse 5, And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham. So this man did not descend from Aaron. Right? Because he has no beginning and no end. But he receives tithes from, Abra- from Abraham and blessed Abraham. And he even blesses Abraham. Who... Ha- who had the promises of the covenant of god it is beyond dispute that the inferior the inferior is blessed by the superior so melchizedek as great a man as abraham was and abraham's revered in all three monotheists he's revered in islam he's revered in christianity and he's revered in um in judaism so abraham is a powerful figure in history in human history Because you combine those three religions, you're covering more than half of the world. And these people revere Abraham as the patriarch. And yet, Abraham, as great as he was, turns out he's inferior to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is greater than he is. That's why Melchizedek blesses him. He doesn't bless them. The superior blesses the inferior. Got that? Stay with me. Verse 8. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case by whom it is testified that he lives, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. So, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So, Levi paid tithes through Abraham is what what's referring you can say you can make a case for that. okay and so what we read earlier in verse 11 we had 11 and 12 read to you in the intro. now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise? what? And by the way, the priesthood of Melchizedek predates the priesthood of the Levitical priesthood. But okay, but but since that time, that type of priesthood is not discussed until Jesus shows up. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is change in the priesthood, get this here, verse twelve, verse twelve. Look at it. When there's change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. Let me say that again. If you change the priesthood, then that also changes the law. Change priesthood, new law. Got it? Or new covenant. Stop trying to live off of the old covenant. Deuteronomy 28 is not applicable and you're saying brother rhyme I thought all scripture was profitable yes it is but it has to be in context and it has to be put in its proper context and in the proper way that God is communicating and we're going to see going see that in a minute when uh, my pastor did this magnificent story and I'm going to let him tell it to you today on the podcast and just the way he told it in the church. And you'll see where I'm going with this. Okay. But I thought Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. but my, my words shall not pass away. And he said, not one jot, not one tittle of the law, you know, will pass away. But that it had to be fulfilled. And that would include Deuteronomy 28. But I'm looking at verse 12 here and it says, different priesthood, different law okay we're gonna answer that question at the end for the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah so Jesus was not a Levite so how could he be a priest and he wasn't a Levite because he's descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe Moses said nothing about priests okay so the no priests come out of the tribe of judah moses didn't didn't make any mention of this verse 15 this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of melchizedek so, which is christ who has become a priest not on the basis of the law of moses or the pentateuch of legal requirement concerning bodily descent in other words to be a priest under the in the, in the nation of israel you have to be biologically born as a Levite to even think about qualifying for a priest. That was a requirement. Jesus did not meet that requirement. But by the power of an indestructible life, for it is witness of him. Now listen to this. This is what God said of Melchizedek, but he also said of Jesus. You are a priest forever. So God declares Jesus to be a priest forever after the order of melchizedek so you're not in the levitical priesthood which is by law and which says biology but there's another priesthood that's created because god i call this divine prerogative god can do whatever he wants and so god creates another priesthood you're a priest forever after the word of melchizedek for on the one hand a former commandment is set aside so god takes a commandment and listen what he does god sets aside not me god set aside the commandment because of its weakness and uselessness it was weak and it was useless for the law made nothing perfect deuteronomy 28 has never made anything perfect but on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to god so the better hope is christ and it's through christ that we draw near to God and it was not without an oath for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath so people who under under the Levitical priesthood were made priests without an oath because it was by law and in biology but this one this is different now and when God swears an oath you can take that to the bank because God can't lie let God be true and every man a liar But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Christ guarantees the new covenant, and it's better than the old covenant, than Deuteronomy 20 that everybody keeps running to. The former priests were many in number, there was a whole bunch of them, and it tells you why we needed more than one priest. Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So I'm a priest, but I die. Well, what happens when I die? Who's going who's gonna to make the atonement for the people? If I'm dead. So you got to have a whole bunch of them. It's got to be degener- passed on from generation to generation. And we keep having to get new priests, new priests, new priests, every generation. Because they were prevented by death. That's why. Okay. So let's let's do a quick review here. Verse twenty two of chapter seven says this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death. They died. So they had to so God had to keep raising up every generation new priests. Verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently. Christ holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. See, Melchizedek doesn't die. That's why there was only one. Then Christ shows up after the order of priesthood, after the order of Melchizedek. Christ Jesus doesn't die. He said, Behold, I am am he that was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. He's not dying again because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. See, the other priests couldn't save to the uttermost because they were finite. The people they were interceding for and making sacrifice for, they had to make a sacrifice for themselves. And they couldn't prevent death. Death came upon them as well. So if I can't stop death for myself, I definitely can't stop it for you. Jesus, on the other hand, died and rose again. And he raised himself up. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, because of that, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives. So, Christ always lives. Christ is always alive. He ever lives above for me to intercede. Christ is always alive. He's not going to die. You might have one priest today under Levite, and he's a good priest. He's interceding for the people. He's doing a great job. The next priest, he comes in, he's corrupt, he's wicked, and he's not doing such a great job. So he's not helping the situation. You know, how is he interceding for me? Because he's not living right himself. Okay, because all the priests didn't have it all together either. Some of them were corrupt. So consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God. So if we draw near to God... We can draw near to God be under the new covenant. We can't draw near to God under the old covenant. Because we couldn't get ourselves holy enough. We couldn't get ourselves sanctified enough. There was nothing. In fact, we were dead in trespasses and in sins. sense. If you walk into the room and you see a dead man on the floor, that dead man can't get himself up. I don't care how much law you can give You can lay the Levitical priesthood on top of him and give him the laws of God and four spiritual laws and talk to him all you want. He's dead. He's not getting up. But Christ can walk in that room with that man that's dead. And Christ, by one command, can make that dead man come to life. That's what I'm talking about. I don't have that power to bring the dead to life. Either physically or spiritually. Inherent, it's not in me. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. That's how a man comes from death to life. But the old covenant never took a man from death to life. But the new covenant will because it has a better priesthood. One who can actually get things done. He can intercede. He won't die. And if you draw near to God, it'll be on the basis of what Christ has done. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, Jesus died on the cross. I know it was the blood for me. So Christ can save to the uttermost, from the guttermost to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through Him. We draw near to God through Christ. Since and why is that? Because Christ always lives to make intercession for us. We have two intercessors in He in, in uh, Romans eight chapter. It says, "The Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered." And then it also says here Christ. Jesus makes intercession for us. These are the two great intercessors. And if I get into the kingdom of God, it won't be because of my intercession or your intercession. Yes, we intercede. God allows us to participate. We'll do some studies on that as well. But at the end of the day, the intercession that really counts, the intercession that really gets it done is the intercession of the Holy Spirit, the intercession of Christ himself as a priest. And this is a powerful, powerful priesthood. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest christ was holy he was innocent unstained he was separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily they had to offer sacrifice daily first for their own sins and then for those of the people they had to do two sacrifices had to take care of their own sin and then they had to do it for the sin of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself so christ takes an offering he offers up himself and he does it once he's not doing it again people once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests so the law appoints weak men as high priests but the word of the oath which came later after these appointments through the law Appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The perfect son forever. How about that? Listen to this. Chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up not the Lord set up not man this is a tent that God set up not man for every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer The priest has to have something to offer up. What are you going to give? Now, if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. See that? Christ is the priest, but he's not a priest while he's here on earth. He's a priest when he gets to heaven. That's what it's saying here. Now, if he were on earth, I just read it. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Read that again. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all why is that because there are already priests here who offer gifts according to the law they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things For when moses was about to erect a tent he was instructed by god saying see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain so god so moses had to build this tabernacles exactly the way god told him because it was going to be an exact replica of what was in heaven Verse six, but as is but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry. Wow, I just got a revelation here, an illumination. Remember when Jesus was talking to the apostles, he said, It's necessary for you that I go away, because if I don't go away, the comforter won't come. Well, that's definitely one of the reasons why. But in order for him to function as a priest in Melchizedek, he had to go away. He had to leave. So he could go into the heavens. And make sacrifice in the temple of God in the heavens. and Sprinkle it with blood. His blood. Of sacrifice. For the sins of the world. And he can make intercession. So salvation didn't come. Until he said I have to go away. Maybe that's why he told the, the, Mary and Martha don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to the father. Because they probably would have ran, ran. You know gave him a great big hug. He said don't touch me. So he had to be pure. He had to be clean. You could don't even touch me. Wait till I get back into heaven and then come back. You can hug me. But right now can't do it. I've not yet ascended yet. So he had not yet ascended to make, to sprinkle that blood in the, in, in the, in the throne of God just yet. Wow. See what happens when you read scripture. God, God gives you a little bit more insight to some stuff, right? But as it is, Christ obtained a a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. The covenant than the than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. The covenant that Christ mediates is better. Better than Deuteronomy 28. Why are you living there? Come out of it. Stop living there. It's better. Since it is enacted on better promises. For that that first covenant had been faultless there would have been no occasion to look for a second if the first one was working why would God have to go get a second you say well didn't God know it wasn't going to work of course he knew it but if you go to the book of Galatians it says the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that was his only function God knew you weren't that thing wasn't going to perfect you and he knew you were going to fail that's why he put Deuteronomy 28 to let you see the exceeding sinfulness of sin and where your failure is going to end land you. Those first 13 verses, nobody was going to do that perfectly. It wasn't going to happen. Everybody, was, everybody failed. So from verse 13 on to 68, it's all curses. And he's saying, this is where you guys lie, 13 to 68. This is where everybody's in that category. Everybody has failed. All you got to do is mess up once and you're guilty. Failure, no you are not blessed in the city you are not blessed in the field you're not blessed when you come and go because deuteronomy 28 doesn't work it's only a schoolmaster to show us our exceeding sinfulness but the devil has tricked people to think that they actually live in deuteronomy 28 and they're going to be blessed just by speaking it and saying it over and over again it's a lie from the pit of hell But the devil doesn't want you to see, doesn't want the schoolmaster to tell you, you ain't right. The truth of the matter is, we ain't right. The covenant he mediates is better. The covenant of Christ mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. It's better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault, with them when he says behold the days are coming so god says okay here's what i'm going to do and this is you can also find this in ezekiel i believe uh chapter 18. behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will establish a new covenant with the house of israel god wants to give israel a new covenant and definitely the church also is under this new covenant though some may say we aren't but, uh, but we are And with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day. This is not not the, the Mosaic covenant on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. See that? They failed. Why are we trying to continue in something that has failed? Don't work. For they did not continue in my covenant and so i showed no concern for them declares the lord For this is a covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days declares the lord now here's the new covenant saints under the new covenant here's the here's the benefits we have number one god will put he says i will put my laws in their mind so god's going to put the law of god will be put into the mind in other words the law of god is of, was of no value because it had they had no way to internalize the laws of god They didn't know how to do it. Well, God gave them some clues, but they didn't quite catch it. Front bounded as frontless between your eyes and you know, memorize it and rehearse them over and over and over again. So they knew it well. But I think Joshua one eight gave a key on internalization of the word of God. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall have good success. But it's through meditation of the on the word of God that you we Internalize the word. It's one of the ways that we can begin to inter- internalize it. But that's another study. Uh, Declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make of them. Okay, so God's going to put our laws into our minds. He's going to help us to internalize it into our minds, and then He's going to write the laws of God on our hearts. Okay, law in the mind, law in the heart. internalized not external. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people; they shall and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities under the new covenant, and I will remember their sins no more, okay, so look at verse twelve, I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. New covenant, let's go back up here to the old covenant, okay i took them by the hand to bring them out of egypt out of the land of egypt for they did not continue in my covenant and because they did not continue in the covenant old covenant i show no concern for them declares the lord i showed no concern for them i showed no concern for them declares the lord oh that's the old covenant new covenant i will be merciful toward their iniquities i will remember their sins no more the old covenant no concern because they blew it new covenant i'll be merciful. And I remember the sins no more. Verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. The first covenant is obsolete, people. Stop trying to live under that. Yes, we can learn some principles. Yes, we can learn some ideas of of it revealing God's character, who he is, his nature. It's also a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But under no circumstances is it ever going to deliver us from the power of sin. It can't. It can only let us know that we're, we're abysmal failures. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Jesus said, "The law, nothing changes until it's been fulfilled. Well, the law was fulfilled in Christ. He did it for us. So that thing can vanish away now. Later. See ya. Hasta la vista. Because now we are have been made new in Christ Jesus. All right. Well, I said seven and eight, but now we're here to chapter nine. So let's just keep it moving. Chapter nine of the book of Hebrews. Talking about the earthly holy place, which is a replica of what was in heaven. Now, even the first covenant and regulations for worship and, and an earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared. The first section of the tent in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence is called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. So you have the holy of holies at the holy place. And then you had the. The holy of holies what some people call the inner court and then you had the uh the holy of holies which is where god dwelt that's the one with the curtain that the priest could only go in there and they tied a string around him because if he wasn't right god would kill him so and he had to carry blood in there to make a sacrifice for himself first and then for the people so it would, be, it would become uh, the mercy seat so verse uh it is called the holy place Uh, verse three behind the second curtain was a second second session called the most holy place having the golden altar of incense the prayers of the saints the ark of the covenant the covenant god made with the children of israel covered on all sides with gold in which it was a golden urn holding the manna which is christ coming down from heaven that manna is a symbol of christ the, the body of christ And Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. So we're not going to go into detail on that, and I'm not going to, you know, expound on that part right there. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. So the priest would go into the first section and do the ritual duties in the holy place. But in the second, only the high priest goes. Only one person can go in there as the high priest. And he but once a year. And he can only do it once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers first for himself and then for the unintentional sins of the people. Okay? By this, the Holy Spirit it says unintentional, so what about the intentional? I don't know. It doesn't say. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. So when you have the holy place still standing, that means there's no real access into the holy of holies just yet. It hasn't been opened yet. But when christ died the veil was torn in two because christ opened it up so now everybody can approach god get that so you, god was still unapproachable you could only go but so far with him but the depths of relationship that god wanted to have with his people that could not be fully realized other than by faith because if you did it by faith it reached back into into time and it goes the, the, the atonement goes into both directions it goes forward and backwards And you see glimpses of that with David. You see glimpses of it with Moses and with Ezekiel, Daniel, some of the prophets where they had that glimpse of that entering in. But they did it by faith. They didn't have to fully understand what Christ was going to do. Abraham had that relationship. And I talked about God speaking face-to-face with Moses and nobody else in the Bible, but that's i fact checked myself. He also talked to Abraham. See, that's why you got to fact-check people face-to-face. And not too many people. He did that with. That's a very a rarity. Okay, so nobody has access to God in the way that God wants us to have it. And remember, the other uh, in chapter seven, we talked about drawing near. Key phrase here: God wants everybody to draw near. But when people tried to draw near in in the in the Old Testament, they were afraid, and they couldn't. And, you know, and so they told Moses, you know what? Why don't you go up there and have a conversation with him? Uh, because this is too scary for us. Okay. But as long as the old covenant is still standing, that section was, was still there. Verse 9, which is symbolic for the uh, for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. The gifts and sacrifices that were being offered in the temple could not perfect the conscience of the worshiper. The worshiper could not have full confidence that he was worshiping God without sin. That didn't happen. Okay. But deal only with food and drink and various washings regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Now let's look at the other side. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, Christ entered once for all into the holy places in heaven, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing, thus securing an eternal redemption. Wait, what? Thus securing an eternal redemption. Stop running around losing your salvation, people. It's an eternal redemption. Got it? Christ has made it eternal. The deal is sealed. You don't get saved, unsaved, and get resaved again. Stop it. Are you in or are you out? Now, if you're not sure you're saved, then get saved. Repent of your sins and and. And accept Christ as Lord and Master in your life. Verse 13. If the blood of bulls, goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, sanctify for the perfection of the flesh, at only at best perfection of the flesh, purification, not perfection, to purify the flesh. And that was just temporary because by the time you got home, you were unpure again. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit that's the Holy Spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Purify your conscience. God will purify our conscience. We're going to have to talk a little bit about conscience uh, in a future podcast. Purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, because faith and conscience is connected from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, Christ, therefore, Christ is the mediator of, of a new covenant, forget the old one, people. Stop it, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. You want to receive the proper eternal inheritance that the old covenant offered? It has. You can only get that through Christ. You're not going to get it by the old trying to keep the old covenant and quoting it and saying it. It's got to be in Christ. Then the promises of said old covenant, what God actually wanted to do, come to fruition. Receive the promise eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established, right? If I make a will for my kids, I have to die before they can get it. For will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. That's so, there had to be some type of death for it to have for it to be come into effect. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, look what Moses did, did he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the new covenant. This is the blood of the covenant, not the new covenant. (laughs) This is Moses talking. There's no new covenant. This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. So the people got sprinkled with blood. Yes, you were standing in the audience. You got sprinkled with blood. And you weren't going to get mad either and fight him over it because that was for the saving of your soul. Verse 21. And in the same way, he sprinkled the blood with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood blood is to purify and without the shedding of blood without the shedding of blood without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins thus it is nece- it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites just like it would be in heaven but the heavenly things themselves would has to have a better sacrifice there can't be bloods and bulls and goats than these Now look what Christ did for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things. But into heaven itself, he wasn't going to the copy. He went to the real deal in heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. He wasn't going to repeatedly offer himself over and over again as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Well, he's not doing that. It was a one and done. But as it is, he has appeared once for all. He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin the second time christ comes is to deliver us from the remember i talked about the atonement first thing he did he dealt with the the power with the penalty of sin sanctification he deals with the power of sin And, and lastly here we're reading from he will deliver us from the presence of sin not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him if you're a christian you are eagerly waiting for christ to return i am and i hope you are too if you're not then you need to get saved repent of your sins and come to christ not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What am I saying here? I'll let my pastor, Bishop Robert I. Winley, close us out here. Let me see. I'm trying to do the timestamp stamp on this thing, so it may go a little haywire for a minute. But uh, in the end, I think we'll get it right. Okay if I remember at what point here that it was done. Uh, We'll do this in the next segment.
1: to do then we'll have a communion Um, the title of this particular thought this poem is take my son take my son a wealthy man and his son they love to collect rare works of art They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire the great works of art. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and he died in battle while rescuing another soldier. His father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day and he was carrying me to safely when a bullet struck him in the heart and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. The young man held out his package. He said, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son painted by the young man. He stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the, too drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man, offered to pay him for the picture. Oh, no, sir, I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son. Before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. Well, the man died a few months later. There was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many, many influential people gathered, excited about seeing the great paintings, having an opportunity to purchase one for their collection. Now, on the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his ground. We'll start the bidding with the picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, we want to see the famous painting skip this one auctioneer persisted well someone bid for this painting who will start to bid 100 200 another voice angry we didn't come to see this painting we came to see the van go the river get on with the real big Still, the auctioneer continued. The son, the son, who'll take the son? Finally, a voice came from the back of the room. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. He said, "I'll give ten dollars for the thing." Being a poor man. It was all he could afford. We have 10 who will bid 20. Give it to him for 10, man. Let us see the masters. (laughs) 10 is the bid. Let someone bid 20. The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They want the worthy investment of their collection auctioneer pounded the gravel going once, going twice (laughs) Sold for $10 man sitting on the second row shouted now let's get on with the collection auctioneer laid down his gravel (laughs) I am sorry the auction is over (laughs) what about What about the other paintings? Let me find another thing. I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. And whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire including the painting. The man who took the son he gets everything. God gave his son people 2,000 years ago to die on the cross much like the auctioneer this message today is the son who take the son? Because
0: you see, whoever takes the son, everything. the son, Amen. That's how my pastor ended his service yesterday. Ended the service yesterday. That was a powerful story, and it fits so much what I'm been talking about. So, if you didn't get anything out of what I was saying today, that story is what I was saying. For in Christ, and in Christ alone, we get everything. We get the blessings, but here's the thing. You get the blessings, but you don't get the curse. That's what the point I was trying to make. Trying to keep the law, trying to obey that stuff, it will get you killed. But if you put your, your faith in Christ, All that God has for us, all that God wants to give to us, we receive it in Christ. It's all in him. That's why it's a better covenant. Because the old covenant, you couldn't receive that stuff. But now you can receive it because of Christ. And he's paved the way that we can now draw near to God. We can now internalize the word of God. We can grow. We can mature in him. We can have a depth of relationship with God that we could never have had before. And that's the true riches. It's not in material prosperity and wealth. That's nonsense. Those are, those things are, 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 are sidebars. It's in knowing Christ and in Christ alone. That's what we're talking about here. That's my point. And that story was a beautiful summation of what I've been trying to say thus far in Hebrews. That's where we're headed. thank you for listening to this edition of the sword and the spirit we'll do hebrews 10 and 11 maybe 12 Uh, next time we get into the book of hebrews we have some other things lined up coming up that message you heard was the end of the ending message of my pastor bishop robert i winley who pastors the church soul saving station in new york city in harlem Thought that was appropriate because I could not have said it any better than that story. You know, what I was trying to get across to us in Hebrews, what I think the writer was trying to get across to us in Hebrews, I think it, it kind of uh, easy, some easier summation. So we praise and thank God. I appreciate every one of you who take time out of your day. I know, like you hear me say this all the time, and I will continue to say it. I know there's better things you can be doing with your time but you, you're not, you don't think it robbery reaches. listen to this man's podcast. And my prayer is that I hope I said something helpful to you, to help you grow and mature in your faith in God and become stronger. I want God's people to become strong and better. And that's my only goal here, uh, is to try to teach the Word of God and to hopefully get you hungry for the things of God and see what wonderful things you can discover in the Word of God. Uh, through a proper Bible study So, listen to my podcast How to Sharpen Your Sword Or you can also use the other one Chad Mansbridge Who wrote a great book called You Can't Handle the Truth I recommend everybody get a copy of that book And you will be blessed So stay strong Keep walking with the Lord And, you know, keep doing what you do In terms of your salvation If you don't know Christ, like I said Repent of your sins except Christ as Lord and Master of your life. It'll be the best decision you could ever possibly make um, in your entire life. Can't get any better than that. So stay strong. And I will see you next time on The Sword and the Spirit. God bless. Oh, I almost forgot to mention I'm on, uh, I'm on Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Podcasts, whichever one you use, please like, subscribe, and share. Like, subscribe, and share. Soon to be coming to YouTube. God's just helping me to get some other things together. I have one episode on YouTube, which is uh, Church of Next Generation, but there'll be more to come as well. So God bless and stay strong.